Hi, Everyday Online. It's great to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, my name is Natalie. I lead a charity called Jubilee Plus, which helps churches of all kinds across the UK to change the lives of those in poverty in our communities. Uh, we help churches engage with the most vulnerable, the marginalised, those trapped in poverty or injustice of various kinds to make a real difference in their local area to people in their community. I also work two days a week for my local church in Hastings on the southeast coast of England where we've got eight social action projects and I oversee those projects that again are all about lifting people out of poverty and trying to help people at their point of crisis and need. Um, with Jubilee Plus in 2019 we brought out a booklet called A Deepening Crisis and in this booklet we said that we believed that the UK and maybe other nations too, but definitely in the UK, we felt we were going to go into a time that was going to make the lives of the poorest even harder than they already were. Now, we didn't really know how this was going to come about or why it was going to happen. Uh, we just were hearing different people saying, we believe God is saying that the lives of the poorest are going to get harder in our nation. And at the time, you thought it didn't really make a lot of sense because employment was um, at record levels. The era of austerity was over, the economy was doing well. In our booklet, we wondered if maybe it was gonna be Brexit. Um, that wasn't a statement about Brexit. It was just the only thing at the time that we could see that could possibly make um, life harder or, or cause more poverty in the UK. And actually, it's interesting, we really believed we were hearing from God, but we perhaps so couldn't see why or how it was gonna happen that we lacked a little bit of the courage of our convictions by putting a question mark on the end of the title of the booklet. So the booklet was called A Deepening Crisis? Um, that was in November 2019. And then of course, come to March 2020, and as you'll know full well, the pandemic hit the UK with full force. It had already been in other nations around the world um, quite seriously by then. But for us, it was March 2020 when we started going into lockdowns and um, life changed dramatically for all of us. And around that time, people started to talk about the pandemic, particularly politicians and the media started to talk about the pandemic as the great leveller. When Prime Minister Boris Johnson caught coronavirus and was hospitalised, people pointed out that no amount of wealth or status or power or privilege could stop you from getting sick. Um, so people said it's, it's the great leveller, it's, it's something that, yeah, you, you can't, your wealth or status can't keep you immune from it, so to speak. Um, but for me, that was an interesting thing that was being said at that time, because although it was true in one sense, you know, you, you, no amount of money could stop you counting, catching coronavirus, there are obviously many ways in which it, it wasn't true, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I know that for, for many, it, it was obvious that no amount of money or privilege or power could stop you losing loved ones, could stop you losing your job, could stop you losing precious time with loved ones. People that for many of us, we'd just taken it for granted, we'd be able to spend as much time as we wanted with, and suddenly we're with these restrictions where we can't see anyone anymore. But the truth is that as the pandemic hit, for many of us in the Western world, the, the pandemic was an inconvenience more than anything else. And I don't say that lightly, 
Please don't mishear me. I know that obviously it was much more than an inconvenience for anyone who's lost a loved one or lost their income or struggled with their family or their mental health. But for most of us who are comfortable financially, um, maybe even wealthy, certainly by global standards, it, it was an inconvenience more than anything else. And it affected me quite profoundly. I'll give you a few examples. So in March 2020, um, I actually had three jobs at the time and I lost the best paying of those jobs um, pretty much overnight. There's just no way without being able to travel that I could do that job anymore. Uh, the job wasn't based where I'm based locally. It wasn't a job I could do from home. And so I lost actually 25% of my income overnight. I live on my own. So I was really nervous um, about the fact that I wasn't going to be able to see anyone. At that time, in the first lockdown, you weren't allowed to bubble with anyone. So I was worried about my mental health. To be honest with you, I've got a history of depression. And as soon as we went into that first lockdown, one of my thoughts was, I really hope this doesn't last too long because I don't know how I'll cope. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to me in terms of, am I going to get really depressed? Um, also, it was interesting to me because a lot of people on was a Zoom kind of became a thing for us all to get familiar with. People would say to me, oh, are you enjoying time in the garden? Well, I, I live in a flat, so I haven't got a garden. And do you know, one of the things that was weird for me that I didn't expect to miss was um, the lack of physical contact. So I am not a big hugger. Uh, my friends joke about it often. I, I don't really like hugs. I'm all right with them, but I'm not, not a big fan. I'll hug if someone hugs me but I'm unlikely to initiate a hug. And yet, a few weeks into the first lockdown, I think about five or six weeks, I just suddenly realised, wow, I've had no physical contact whatsoever. And I started to notice that I was missing it. Um, I'll be honest with you, I, I struggled with online church because it was new to me. So I think online church is wonderful, but I hadn't um, experienced online church before. And so when um, they would say things like, break bread with your household, I didn't have anyone to break bread with and I found that really, really difficult. There were just moments like that that felt kind of painful to me. Um, one of my biggest issues, and this one will sound trivial to many of you, I'm sure, but was quite a big deal for me, was that I, don't, I didn't back then really know how to cook. And actually, um, people who know me are very familiar with the fact that in 2019, I managed to go 46 days in a row being fed by my friends. Now, I invite myself to people's houses a lot. Um, Jesus used to do that. He used to invite himself for dinner. So I feel like that's just me trying to be like Jesus. Uh, but seriously, for 46 days in a row, I was fed by other people. And that was my, kind of my lifestyle. Not always that many days in a row, but typically five or six times a week, I would eat with friends. I'm very used to inviting myself around and then certain families would have me around once or twice a week, every single week. So suddenly I was like, I'm gonna have to cook for myself. But before the pandemic, cooking for myself looked like tinned macaroni cheese or tinned ravioli or one of those little pizzas you can get like a single person's pizza that I would put in the oven and, and so I didn't have a healthy diet when left to my own devices and my friends were saying you can't live off that now if you're going to be looking after yourself for weeks on end you can't you can't do that so there were various ways some more serious than others in which the pandemic and the lockdowns affected me but in the middle of it all, I recognised as well that I am really privileged. And even all the examples I've just given speak in one way or another to my, my actual privilege and how okay I was compared to a lot of people. So 
Yes, I lost 25% of my income, but I kept 75% of it. And I was able to work through food bank and other things like that. I was able to be involved in working life. Now, when the pandemic first hit, we had a guy come to our food bank who basically he'd worked in the leisure industry for um, his whole adult life. I think he said since he was 16 years old. And he came to the food bank and he said, I've lost my job. This was the, the first week of lockdown before the furlough scheme had come into place. And he's like, I've lost my job. I've got two preschool kids. He was like, how am I going to find another job? That's all I've ever known. What am I going to do? And he was, he was, you know, tearful. Just the shock of having lost this job that he'd had for um, 15 or 16 years and never known anything else and wondering how on earth am I going to get through this and support my two kids? Um, so my, I wasn't facing anything as dire as that. Um, I learned to cook, which has been great. And I learned to eat much more healthily and to fend for myself. Um, I also realised that some people never get physical affection. So yeah, I noticed for a few weeks I went without it and the impact that had on me. But I remember once um, God prompting me to hug a guy who was begging on the streets and I didn't really want to do it. I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to do it. But actually prompted by God, I, I wrestled with it a bit, but then decided, okay, I'll be obedient. And I hugged this guy and he then said to me, I think that's the first time anyone's touched me in months. And so it was really meaningful to him. But then during the pandemic, I realised there are some people who just who just don't get physical affection in general. And I was used to it and actually took it for granted. And, you know, then... So, yeah, it's different, isn't it? I also didn't need to worry about food. So although I didn't know how to cook, I could still afford to feed myself. I also had a strong Wi-Fi connection. Um, and could afford to be connected so I could get involved in things like Zoom, I could work from home, I could um, even do Zoom parties with family and friends, uh, whereas many people couldn't do that. Many people just didn't have the strong enough Wi-Fi or couldn't afford it or didn't have enough data on phones and things like that. So even each of the things, the ways in which it affected me actually speak more of my privilege. And like I said, for many of us, it was an inconvenience. It was a hard thing. It was a significant thing. Like I say, please don't mishear me. But nevertheless, it was still more of an inconvenience than anything else. But for others in our nation, the coronavirus pandemic has been a complete catastrophe. It's been an absolute disaster. For some people, they'd never experienced poverty before and then they were experiencing it for the first time. And honestly, I met people, particularly again through our food bank locally, who looked utterly shell-shocked to be experiencing poverty. I met one woman who'd had a very, very lucrative career. As she stood at the food bank, she said to me, I've given uh, items to the baskets in supermarkets over and over and over again, and I never imagined I would need to be here. Yet there she was. She said to me, I've got a lovely house, but everything she owned, she had assets, but they were all tied up and she couldn't get to them. Her business collapsed overnight when um, the pandemic hit the UK. And so there was nothing she could do. She had kids to support, but she was plunged into poverty for the first time and had no idea what help was available, how to navigate the systems that are in place to support people as a safety net, because she'd never had to do it before. Like I said, she was kind of shell-shocked. And then there were others who were well acquainted with poverty, who were suddenly like, pushed deeper and deeper into it. Some people who just wonder, how will I ever emerge from it now? Because life was already tough. 
life was already hard. I already didn't know how to support my family with the, uh, with the resources that I had. And now my resources are diminished. Well, how am I going to recover from this? So the coronavirus pandemic was indiscriminate, but it wasn't a great leveller. It actually um, highlighted and even exacerbated the difference between the poorest and the richest. It, it showed up these vast inequalities, these vast differences between different types of people. So basically, some people were saying, oh, we're all in the same boat. And you might have heard it said, no, we are all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Because for some people, it was like being in a cruise liner, being hit by a storm. For other people, it was like clinging desperately to a piece of driftwood in the ocean, being battered by a storm. So it was very, very different experiences for different people. And now on the back of the pandemic, and I say on the back of it, but actually though it feels to many of us like the, the worst of the pandemic is behind us, actually the economic impact is still a daily reality for many, many people in our communities. But as we feel like we're emerging out of the pandemic, we've been hit by the cost of living crisis. And again, it's hit the poorest hardest. So yes, in some ways, the cost of living crisis has affected us all. All of us who've got cars will have filled up our tank recently and probably been horrified at how much more expensive it is than a few months ago. Um, those of us who do a weekly or fortnightly or however often you do your supermarket shop will have noticed the price of food. All of us will have noticed our energy bills going up. In fact, in terms of food, it's, it's the basics, it's the essentials that have gone up astronomically. So milk, for example, has already gone up by 20% and it's predicted to go up to by 50% in the next few months. Pasta's gone up, meat's gone up, cheese, eggs, tomatoes, these sorts of things, the kind of staples of everyday life have gone up astronomically. And that's okay if you've got money set aside. If you're someone who's got a bit of spare at the end of each month or, you know, maybe you save every month because you earn enough that you can do that. And, and so it's hit us all. But if you're someone who actually was already living, counting every penny that you've got, then finding an extra five quid, let alone an extra 50 quid a month, is, is impossible. I talked to someone recently, a friend of mine, who with tears in her eyes said, there's nothing else I can cut. I don't know what else to do. The only thing I can do now is go down to one meal a day. That's the only way I can get through because she already didn't have her heating on. She already had blankets. She already was very, very careful about turning on lights and things like that. Already careful about how much she ran a car and even goes out. She's like, the only thing I can do now is go down to one meal a day. So like the pandemic, the cost of living crisis has hit the poorest hardest. It's hit those who are already struggling the most. It's plunged people, again, a deeper level into poverty. People who probably thought, actually, I can't go any deeper than I've gone already into poverty. So for those of us who are Christians, those of us who are followers of Jesus, what is God calling us to at this time? Many of us are in churches where we're really on the front foot with social action. We're really on the front foot with trying to help people who are facing poverty. So many of us are saying, can we do any more? What can we do at this time? I'd love to read to us from Isaiah 61 in the Bible. So Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. God's vision for people facing poverty is actually much bigger than mine and maybe much bigger than yours. I don't know, maybe your vision's really big already, but so often we are content to help people at our point of crisis at their point of immediate need. And that is, there is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. That is vital, it's really important. Um, that, that is crucial that we do that. We must help people where they're at. We must seek to alleviate the immediate pressing poverty that people find themselves in. But God's vision goes so far beyond that. It goes to not just help at someone's point of immediate need, at someone's point of crisis, but actually helping people up out of poverty helping people, empowering people actually to stay out of poverty, to, um, you know, all these things that God replaces one thing for another. It says those who are mourn, those who are grieving, those who are, those who are just, I guess, sad or in despair because of their circumstances, they get the oil of gladness. Those who have a spirit of despair are given a garment of praise. You know, one of the things I'm seeing in all different social action projects and from all different churches at the moment is that we're seeing people who are facing increasing um, hopelessness and despair. There's a sense in which we all know, we're all being told, that the winter coming is going to be worse, that bills are going to go up again, and that we all know what it's like. Winter's always hardest for the poorest in terms of heating homes, choosing between heating and eating. That's become a bit of a cliche, but for many people it's not a cliche. It's the reality of their daily lives. And, and God is saying, for those who've got a spirit of despair at the moment, who think, this is just going to get worse, how am I ever going to get out of this? God's saying, I want to give them a garment of praise. It says they'll become oaks of righteousness, oaks, mighty, steady, firm, solid oaks. But not only that, not only are people empowered by the sounds of this passage to stay out of poverty once they're set free from it, once, they're, once they've heard the good news, um, about good news to those in poverty, once they've heard that. Actually, beyond that, God's vision for those in poverty is not just that they're empowered to stay out of it. Um, because I know what it's like. When I was in poverty, you, you kind of come out of it, but you feel like you're always on the cusp of it. You feel like you're about to go back into it. It's going to take the slightest thing to topple you back into poverty. God's heart for people isn't that they'll constantly live on the edge of fearing falling back into poverty, but they will be empowered and equipped to stay out of poverty for good. Not only that, though, this is astonishing and beautiful and wonderful, I think, because it's not only that. It says that they will be the ones who glorify God. They will build up ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations, or in another version it says places long devastated. They shall repair ruined cities. And some of this is my story. I grew up in relative poverty in Hastings, which one national newspaper called Hell on Sea, because it's a deprived community. It's a typical coastal town in that sense. Hell on Sea sounds like a place long devastated, 
But God's heart is for people with my sort of background and much worse than my sort of background to be lifted out of their poverty, empowered to stay out of it, and to then be those who help others out of poverty too. It's a massive vision. It's a beautiful, in my mind, it's a glorious vision because what God is saying is it's not just about you, but it's about the impact you can have on people around you too. That not only does does God want to bring good news to you in your poverty, but God wants you to then bring good news to other people in their poverty too. So so how how do we do this? What what difference does it make to be those who are um, those who the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us because he's anointed us to bring good news to the poor? How do we do this in this time? Well, you know what? People all across our country do good works. People all across the world do good works. Christians don't have a monopoly on compassion. But what we do have is the the anointing of the Holy Spirit on us. And there are some distinctives about the anointing of the Spirit on us that actually mean we can see people come, not just at their point of crisis and be lifted out of it for a week or two weeks or a month or whatever, but lifted out of it to go on to lift others out of it too. So one of these distinctives is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. One of our unique kind of characteristics as Christians who who want to serve the poorest is that we know the mercy of God that is new every day. We know the mercy of God that has been lavished upon us, abundantly poured out and, and doesn't ever write us off but comes to us again and again and again. The Bible says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and that his mercies are new every day. I know in my life I need new mercy every day and I want a characteristic of my heart for those in poverty to be a mercy that is relentless like God's. I want to imitate him and bring mercy to people that goes again and again and again and again. Now, it might not look like helping someone in the same way time and time again, We need to ask that question, what's the best way to show you the mercy of God today? But that should be our starting place. Not, can I keep helping you time and time again? But what's the best way to keep showing you the mercy of God? The second distinctive is the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power to see kingdom breakthrough in people's lives. Whether that's praying for the sick, praying for people who are suffering with addictions, mental health, whether it's praying for people who, yeah, just are physically trapped in some way, whether it's praying for breakthrough, provision, protection, whatever it is, we have the Holy Spirit anointing on us to see breakthrough in people's lives in power. And we really must, as Christians, offer people the power of God. Now, of course, it's in his hands, not ours. But are we praying for people? Are we expecting God to absolutely change lives? I went through a period in my life where I stopped believing that God could bring change. And I was wrong. And I've had to go back again and again and say, God, you know, where's the power? And then after seeking him, power comes. Now, of course, it's not as simple as that. Sometimes we don't see breakthrough that we long for but we must be praying for it. We must be going after it in the lives of those trapped by poverty or injustice, those who are vulnerable or marginalised anyway. We must, as Christians, keep believing God for the power of breakthrough. And the third distinctive of Christian social action is that we have a hope to offer people that is beyond our immediate circumstances. We have a hope to offer that says that real lifelong transformation is possible and not only lifelong transformation, but transformation for all eternity. So often we separate 
preaching the gospel from our social action to our peril. We need to be offering people this hope that goes beyond the grave, this hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We mustn't take Jesus out of our social action. We must bring Jesus in wherever we can. These are the three distinctives, mercy, power, and hope. One, that, one way we do this is we just share what we've got. And it starts with a heart attitude. In Titus 3 verse 14, it says that we should devote ourselves to good works to help people with urgent needs. Devote is not a casual word. We need to devote ourselves to good works. It's a heart issue. So it's coming before God saying, God, I'm, I'm not devoted. Or maybe you feel like you are devoted, but you know that there's more to go. I, I'm like that. I think, God, I'm devoted to this. And God's always saying, okay, well, come on, let's go on another step or another step. Because I'm not comparing myself to you and we shouldn't compare ourselves to each other. We should just say, am I growing in this? Am I becoming more like Jesus in my mercy and compassion and generosity and kindness? Let's devote ourselves to good works to help those with urgent needs. And then it goes from being a heart issue to being um, an action issue where we act. So Acts 2 and 4 where it talks about Christians sharing all they had, making sure there was no one in need among them. For us in the cost of living crisis, we must do that. We must make sure there is no one in need in the people of God. And then it overflows out to the communities around us. So what can you share at the moment? Can you share money? If you've got enough money, can you help those who don't right now? Can you give to people and be generous or give to charities or the church or different social action projects? If you've got a crisis fund, those sorts of things, where can you share your resources if you've got them? But maybe you haven't got money and you think, well, I can't help in that way. Maybe you've got time. Maybe even if you're housebound and you can't get out, maybe you could pick up the phone and phone someone once a week who's lonely or isolated and would really just appreciate a five minute phone call to ask them how they're doing. Maybe you've got more time than that on your hands and you can share um, your time with others and invest in others. Maybe you've got two winter coats. And as we head into this winter when bills are going to rise, others may not be able to afford a coat. Why, why don't you give one away? Maybe you can have people around for dinner or you can teach someone like me to cook who, who didn't know how to do that. Maybe you've got a business and you could train or employ those that no one else will give a chance to. Maybe you've got DIY skills. Uh, when I bought my flat, I didn't really pay attention to the fact that the ceilings are so high, I can't even change a light bulb on my own. And I don't want to have a ladder in the flat because there's no storage space in a flat. So I'm like, where am I going to put a ladder? So I joke with one of my friends in the church that whenever I have a DIY need, I pretty much call her husband and say, can you come? Can you be my DIY guru, please, and come and help me? And he does. Maybe you've got skills you can lend to someone else in that way. Or maybe you've got stuff that you can share. Maybe you've got a garden and you've got a lawnmower and you know someone who's got a garden and hasn't got one. Maybe you could share it with them rather than them needing to buy their own. Maybe you've got a slow cooker or a rice cooker or a, a laptop even. Maybe you've got a home you could share. We've seen that happen um, with Ukrainian refugees, haven't we? Maybe you've got a home you can share. Maybe you've got a car that you don't use all the time that you could share with someone else. There are lots and lots of ways we can share what we've got so that as people are facing harder times than ever, we can press into offering mercy, power and hope in very, very practical ways as we devote ourselves to good works and as we commit ourselves to the vision God has to lift people out of poverty that they may go on to lift others out of poverty too.